Hello and welcome to the January 4th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. This is Mr. Joe and it's my neighborhood, it's my life, and it's our podcast journey. I'm happy to have you here, so sit back and relax and enjoy my very first episode of the 2018 year, Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Once again, everybody, I want to welcome you to 2018. If you are not able to tell right now, um, I am definitely sick and uh, really not feeling good at all. It's amazing because I have this crazy theory in, in my head and my wife thinks I'm absolutely insane with this theory and probably you're all going to think I'm insane also when I tell you. Um, what I really think is going on, and and some of it, I, I mean, maybe maybe all of it. I don't know. Maybe all of it has to do with my bipolar. I really don't know, or or my schizoaffective disorder. Um, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what diagnosis I have, um, and, and I think my uh, you know nurse practitioner. Uh, I don't know how much of a help she's going to be. Um, I'm going to get into her in a second. Um, right now, she's just writing me out prescriptions. Uh, but my theory is, um, you know, and, and, I, and I have a lot of paranoia, so I don't know. Maybe that's where this stems from. But I, I swear to you, each and every time I decide that I'm going to get healthy again and get back on a regimen of vitamins, I feel like I get deathly sick after I start taking vitamins. And I have to tell you... Um, and I've explained to you in a couple of the past podcasts that I was unmedicated for quite some time with my bipolar disorder. I felt that I was mishandled and mistreated by a number of different doctors. Um, and then one day, um, a silly little therapist of mine had told me that she thinks I can manage my bipolar disorder just by managing my stress alone and be med-free. So I took that and I ran with it. Uh, so I was not on medication for a very long time. Uh, during that period of time, uh, however many years it was, I believe it was almost four years altogether in which I wasn't on medication, um, I was big into vitamins. I really was. I mean, my, in my entire life, I was big into vitamins. Always took a multivitamin, always took fish oil, always took a vitamin C, Always took a vitamin D also, um, um, you know, but then as, as um, I became inconsistent with my vitamin intake and I, I would, you know, forget a day um, and then my obsessive compulsive disorder would somewhat take over and I would say, oh, I forgot a day, I just can't take vitamins again. Um, and then I would go another day and, you know, uh, my OCD would kick in and I'd be like, you know, I can't take any more vitamins. Very strange, strange thought process to have. But then all of a sudden, every once in a blue moon, I would feel like, you know, it's time to get healthy again and give the vitamins a shot. And I'm telling you, each and every time I start to take vitamins again, I get sick. Now, I, I think if I was to stay on these vitamins, I would probably beat this horrific whatever it is. I mean, I think I'm way past the cold at this point. 
um, unless it's just a really bad cold. I'm, I'm not too sure. I have a little bit of back pain in my right side, which is concerning to me because I have had pneumonia four different times in my life. And most of the times when I had pneumonia, it was because I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, that's not the case. Just because I'm not taking vitamins or haven't been taking vitamins doesn't mean I'm not taking care of myself. I, I legitimately have not had a cold or been sick probably in close to three and a half years, which is a very, very long time. So here I go. I start my vitamin regimen, and of course, I'm sick as a dog now. Um, and, and, you know, I would say, is it coincidental? Maybe so. But again, I'm thinking back to so many different times that I would stop vitamins and then start them. And once I started them, I would become sick again. So it's very possible that I'm onto something here. It's also very possible that I sound like more of a lunatic than I really actually am. Um, and you're probably sitting there in the podcast universe listening to me saying, all right, I may, may want to turn this podcast off now because this man is a little bit more... Uh, messed up in his head than I think. Or maybe, maybe I have a theory here. Maybe something does happen to the body's immune system when you, when you start taking vitamins after not taking them for a very long time. Um, you know, if you do have a theory, I'd love to know it. Um, I have yet to give out an email address to anybody out in the podcast universe. So I'm going to start by doing that. I'll remind you about my email address at the end of each podcast again, but um, I, I want to start by by giving my email address mainly because I'm looking at my listening stats on Podbean alone, and I have to thank I really have to thank my audience out there for listening to me. Um, it's great. I'm so so happy to see that. I think just yesterday alone I had 76 downloads, which is just amazing. Um, this is not counting Apple, uh, you know, iTunes, and all the other um, podcast sources that you might be able to listen to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. And, you know, guys, this is not for me. Um, you don't know who I am, obviously, and I'm not about to tell you who I am. If I wanted fame because of this, I would have already told you who I am. Um, and, I'm, and I refuse to do so, and, and mainly because I have to hide my... Uh, bipolar disorder uh, diagnosis or schizoaffective diagnosis, which I, I really think it's more that schizoaffective. Had some um, hallucinations today, which I have not had in quite some time, um, which was a little bit concerning to me. But email address before I go off on a tangent here um, and rant and rave and, and forget about that and lose my train of thought. My email address, very, very simple. It's going to be Mr. Joe BP. And the BP stands for, of course, bipolar. Uh, it's Mr. Joe, M-R-J-O-E-B-P, Mr. Joe P-P, at yahoo.com. Doesn't get easier than that. So, uh, again, Mr. Joe B-P at yahoo.com. And, you know, please, I am very super excited to to get some emails from some listeners. I'd love for you to reach out to me, ask me any questions that you might have. You know, we're really just getting started. This is only my fourth podcast, first one of 2018. And again, I have to apologize. I'm, I'm hoping that I don't sound horrible. I mean, I know I don't sound great, but I'm hoping at least you can make out my voice. Uh, there may be some times where I crack my voice. Uh, hopefully I don't lose it throughout this podcast. 
um, and I'm able to at least give you guys a good 30 or 40 minutes of some some interesting information. Um, guys, let's talk about what's going on right now. Uh, I, I just started medication a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to give you, and I don't remember if I, I mentioned this last time, I'm not going to give you the amount of milligrams that um, I am currently on. I'm very sensitive to medication. Um, and, and the reason why I'm not is not because I want to hide anything from anybody. It's because I want to see if a low dose of something actually works. And I want to be able to let you all know, hey, you know, we don't always have to meet the therapeutic levels for what they consider to be, you know, uh, bipolar disorder, therapeutic levels. I could tell you right now that, you know, for bipolar disorder, they usually want you up around um, anywhere between 100 and 200 milligrams, um, you know, 150. There was a time in my life that I was on 150 milligrams of Lamictal. Worked very well for me. That was in the past. I am nowhere near that right now. Much lower dose. However, I will say this just to give you an update. I know my last podcast I had told you that I felt a tremendous change. And I continue to say that. But my dosage is too low. And it's not enough. Because it's almost as if that, uh, you know, that good feeling lasted a few days. Now, I certainly did not dip into any kind of an episode, but it was almost like I was hanging around there, you know, felt that irritability, felt that, um, you know, just that, that manicky feeling. Um, you know, I am up two hours later tonight past my bedtime. I usually go to bed, uh, you know, here in my neighborhood, uh, I usually am in bed about 8 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock right now. And the only reason why I'm up is because I, I was so sick today that I actually, for the first time in, I believe, 14 years, I took a nap because that's how sick I am. And then I was able to get up and I went outside to, uh, you know, we got some really, in my neighborhood, there's some really bad snow going down here. Um, and I went out sick as a dog and I went to shovel. And, um, you know, my neighbor saw me shoveling and he came and he walked over, he said hello to me and I said hello back and he heard my voice and he, he instantaneously knew that I was not feeling well. And he, and he said, you know, Joe, Mr. Joe, what's going on there? You know, you're sick. And I said, yeah, man, God, I don't even know. I could have pneumonia. You know, maybe I'll go to the doctor tomorrow and check it out. And, um, he said, don't say another word. I'll be right back. And he came over with his snowblower. And this man, um, you know, he, this guy just, he, he, he did my whole driveway for me. And it's just amazing to me to know that there are still very good people in this world. There really are. And it makes me very happy to uh, report that somebody did a, a real kind act for me today. And i got to be honest, if, if he didn't, I don't think I would have been able to continue. I mean, you know. I have a lot of physical ailments going on right now. Um, I've had quite a few epidurals over the last year or so for a neck injury, which we'll get into at another time. Um, but again, as far as I'm feeling right now, um, I already called the nurse practitioner. Um, I don't even have a name for her. I, it's so sad that I'm going to say this. And, and please forgive me for calling her this, and I'm actually going to write it down, 
I'm going to call her Nurse Practitioner Moron. Okay? And, and, you know, actually, I don't even have to write it down because I'll never forget that one. Nurse Practitioner Moron, um, you know, it's great because, you know, I am managing my own medication to some extent. So it was very simple. I, I sent her an email. I let her know that things, you know, were doing good. I was doing very well, feeling great. Um, in the last couple of days, I've kind of felt on edge a little bit, almost as if, like, you know, it's almost like your brain tells you, hey, there's just not enough in there to help you with this mood disorder. So you're going to have to up it. So I had uh, put in a request to up my dosage. Not telling you what it is. But at some point, I promise you, I will speak on my dosages. Um, you know, I'm hoping that maybe I could stay on something rather low. But either way, what does it matter? Uh, you know, I, I just want to go low and slow and, and stay on a medication dosage that makes me feel good. That's all that really matters to me. That's all I really care about. Um, so I will report back then, you know, and, and I, I talk about the mismanagement of my medication in the past. And just to give you a few different numbers about some of the medicines that I was on, the psychotropic medication that I was on. To start out, uh, I was on Depakote which is, uh, for those of you who aren't aware of what Depakote is, it's uh, considered to be a mood stabilizer. It's also used in seizure disorder. Um, it's, it's actually valpuric acid. And uh, it was a real pain in the butt when I was on that stuff because they, they actually, uh, the doctors need you to go to take, get, get blood work. Um, I believe it was every three month, uh, months or six months, one of the two, this was years ago, guys, so I don't remember, so please don't take my word for it. What I can tell you is you definitely have to go and get blood work. Um, uh, but I was on 2,000 milligrams of that. They check your valpuric acid levels. They check your liver. Do a whole bunch of stuff. I believe even your thyroid. Um, but I know I had to do that. Uh, Depakote, uh, Depakote was actually, in my opinion, the cause of three devastating car accidents for me over the course of one month. Um, and I blamed the Depakote ER on those accidents. For some reason at the time, even though I was doing well on Depakote, or so I thought I was doing well on regular Depakote, one of my uh, genius psychiatrists thought it would be a good idea just to experiment with the ER. Um, on three separate occasions, we experimented with ER Depakote, and on all three occasions, I smacked somebody from behind in the rear, um, and totaled my car on three separate occasions. Um, so, uh, you know, the regular Depakote is what I did better on, uh, but still, I was way over-medicated. 2,000 milligrams of Depakote at the same time. I was also on Lamictal, 150 milligrams of Lamictal. You, you, you know, um, in reading and doing some research as of late, a couple of things that have come up, I, I, I saw that there are interactions between the two medications, so, I mean, and I don't know if that's true in every case, but whatever it is, you know, I have read that, and as far as I know, I was on both of them, so don't know about that. Um, I was on a, uh, the, the only antidepressant that ever worked for me at one time in my life, and that was later on, around 2012, when I was actually going through... Um, a situation with my ex-wife that 
required me to go through the family court system uh, when I was weaning off one of my antidepressants, Cymbalta. Later on, a little bit after that, I ended up being on Welbutrin and Lamictal, and that was a very, very helpful combination up until um, my my genius therapist told me to come off medication. But before that, uh, I was on Cymbalta as well. Uh, I was on 120 milligrams of Cymbalta. So now, here we are, 2,000 of Depakote, 150 of Lamictal, 120 of Cymbalta, um, you know, I make a top five of worst moments in my life. And you're actually going to hear the uh, second worst moment of my life in this podcast as we're going to be talking about anxiety today. Uh, this will be Anxiety 101. It's actually ranked number two of, in terms of the worst moments of my life, Anxiety 101. But in the top five is when I came off Cymbalta. Um, it, it is something that we'll talk about in Cymbalta 101. <laughs> this is great how I'm able to come up with these little names. Um, if you haven't figured out by now what my plan is, um, it's, it's really to give you a whole bunch of 101 lessons on uh, things that are mentally health-related um, and, and just relate them to my life and hope that either you've experienced something similar and, and, and I could help you come up with a solution of some kind or, you know, you just relate to what I'm going through or went through and, you know, through these personal experiences in these 101 episodes, hopefully we could address all the things that um, we need to address. Uh, with that being said, coming off Cymbalta resulted in a horrific experience, one that actually ended up um, having me get in a bit, bit of trouble with the family court system. There were no criminal charges. I'm um, actually a very good boy. Um, I have not committed any crimes, so to speak, or ever been um, accused. Or, well, let's, let's backtrack a little, back a little bit. I, I have absolutely been accused of things, and I have done things that are not good either, um, which one including... Um, a time when I went into a store, and I'll tell you the name of the store because they're all over the place, so you know it's not just here in my neighborhood. Um, I was in a Kmart, and <laughs> it, it's just amazing. I mean, this is what the bipolar brain does. It, it, just, it just baffles my mind. I spent over $300 in that store that evening, but yet for some reason I thought it would be a wise idea to steal $18.21 worth of hairbands and a plaque for my ex-wife. My sick head at the time, because I disliked my ex-wife so much, <laughs> told me that I didn't want to spend money on her. Um, but yet at the same time, I wanted to do something nice for her. I was probably feeling guilty over something. Um, I believe at that period of time, I had just started some boxing treatment. And I know I was uh, uh, extremely exhausted and tired, and it was a horrible time in my life. So I was probably kissing a little butt um, and hoping that she would just leave me alone. So I went to the store, and you know, uh, I had to do some food shopping, and I spent you know, a lot of money, a couple hundred dollars, and I stole her stuff, and I was arrested. Um, and thankfully, when I went before a judge, I was able to let them know. I brought up my diagnosis. Um, uh, 
you know, I barely remembered the situation at the time. Now thinking back, I, I you know, I remember what happened because one of my uh, certifications I almost ended up losing. Uh, thank goodness I got an adjournment uh, contemplating dismissal. Uh, the judge really did feel bad for me. I mean, I was just a complete disaster. I mean, at this point in time, I had just started medication, or at least I was in the midst of mis mishandled medication treatments. And, you know, I, I, I just, I barely remember seeing that judge, but I know he did feel bad for me, and he let me go. So we do some crazy things when we're bipolar. And, um, you know, that happened to be one of my, um, while well, I say that I was exhausted and tired, I was probably in a bit of a manic phase as well, which was um, allowed me to even go ahead and steal that particular day. Well, that was the only time I ever stole in my life, although there were several other times that um, I had certainly thought about it and felt the need to do it. It was almost like a sickness where there were times when I was manic that I wanted to steal, um, but I always prevented myself from doing so, and I never did, uh, except for that one time. Um, not sure how we got on that topic, but um, oh, Symbolta. Well, again, Symbolta. We'll do a Symbolta one on one on one. Talk about that as an antidepressant and um, what a dangerous drug it really is to come off of. Um, so, you know, in terms of dosages, two thousand milligrams of Depakote, one twenty of Symbolta, one fifty of Lamictal. I was also on Vistarol for anxiety as needed. Another horrific drug, in my opinion, um, for me anyway. That's not to say that it doesn't work well for other people, especially those people who are um, capable of abusing drugs. You know, and those of you who are not able to take a Klonopin or a Xanax and because you abuse them. I was once in that category. I was a drug abuser. I was a substance abuser. I was an alcoholic. Um, I, I snorted cocaine. I broke up pills, Oxycontin pills and uh, broke them up, and I snorted them. Um, there were times that I was so manic and so out of my mind um, <laughs> that, that, that I snorted Wellbutrin pills. I mean, there are some things that I did, guys, that I am so ashamed to say, um, but it's important for you all to know that. Uh, in addition to those medications, I was also on a high dose of Suboxone at the time, uh, I don't want to get into that right now. I'd like to save that for Suboxone 101, which is going to be a two-part series. Uh, Suboxone 101 will be my first stint with Suboxone. By the way, Suboxone is part of my top five worst moments in my life. And the unfortunate thing is I am once again on it. Um, but again, we'll save that for Suboxone 101. Uh, if you guys have any other ideas, too, uh, about how I could name my podcast episodes once I... Uh, get past the 101. I, it almost seems like 102 is a little boring. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm not sure how to go about that. But if, you know, you, you throw me an email. Tell me if you got some, some ideas. Like if I'm going to do a part two on a series, uh, maybe I'll just keep it like the 101 part two. I'm not sure. Uh, but I'll figure that part out. Uh, uh, so I was on the Suboxone. Uh, I was also on a uh, pretty heavy dose of Xanax at the time um, that was provided to me by my Suboxone doctor. Um, I believe I was taking anywhere from one to three milligrams an evening. Um, not good. Not good at all. 
you know, I abused it, I did. And that's not a, uh, that's not a terribly high dose, uh, but you've got to be very careful. Got to be very careful, especially, you know what, guys, especially when you're mixing it with other stuff. I mean, there were times when I was still drinking, when I wasn't properly medicated. I would never stay on my medications for long. I would go on, I would come off. Uh, you know, and I blame the doctors to some extent because I really, I really believe I was over-medicated. So I never really, really felt great. Um, and so I would just say to myself, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. And, you know, we'll do an episode at some point on why people with bipolar disorder um, tend to come off and on their medications because I am one of those people. I can tell you right now that that will not happen with me again. Uh, and, and I say that without a shadow of a doubt, mainly because I'm in a very different part of my life. Um, we do a lot of different things when we're young and a lot of different things when we're older. And we do grow up quite a bit. Um, so I use that Xanax, um, you know, and <laughs> here's another thing. I was smoking pet marijuana. I was smoking marijuana throughout all that medication treatment. So there you go. Who knows whether it worked or it didn't and the reasons as to why it didn't work because I was smoking marijuana. And I will tell you right now, if you have bipolar disorder and you're on medication, you can't smoke marijuana. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And you can't drink alcohol. It just doesn't work. You know, my mom, who has borderline personality disorder, I saw her during Christmas. And uh, my goodness, we are going to get into my mother at one point or another because uh, this is a woman who is uh, not officially diagnosed with borderline personality disorder only because she won't go to the appropriate doctors. But this woman on Christmas, and, and you tell me if you have these people in your life, and I, thought, I actually have to chuckle about it a little bit. She sat at the dinner table. You know, and, and, and my mom has been on uh, Paxil as an antidepressant more or less her entire life, on and off, on and off. She takes herself off. She puts herself on. You know, she decides when she wants to go on, when she wants to go off. Once in a while, she'll she'll add a, a couple of milligrams to her dosage, and, and then she's a manic maniac, you know, for lack of better terms. You know, she basically throws herself into mania. Um, but she had the audacity to tell me on Christmas Day as she was sipping a glass of wine. Now, granted, uh, she, but keep in mind, she, she promised my sister that she would never have another drink again. Um, but, you know, we've been down that road a million times over. Um, as she sipped on her wine, she said, you know, Mr. Joe, Mr. Son Joe, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm drinking. I'm drinking wine because my doctor said <laughs> that it's a good idea for me. Uh, and I actually, at the time, I was eating lasagna, and 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 the lasagna actually spit out of my mouth and <laughs> kind of went all over the place because I just couldn't believe it. You know, it's not the first time that she said that, um, but you know, I'd like to know the quackadoo that told her to take antidepressants and wash it down with a glass of wine. I really would. Um, just completely idiotic, but borderline personality disorder 101. When we get into that episode, we'll talk a little bit more about my mom. Um, so uh, those were the medicines that I was on. And, you know, now I am on just the Lamictal along with the Suboxone in the morning. Got to tell you, I'm feeling pretty good. 
feeling pretty good other, other than this horrific cold that I have. Um, now, um, let's see. Where did I want to go to next? I, uh, I did say I was going to mention a little bit about, about my nurse practitioner. I told you I put her in, put in the call. Nurse practitioner moron is just a complete moron. Guys, uh, I didn't share this with you during my last podcast. Um, but we do have another podcast fellowman out there by the name of Bipolar Bob, who has uh, been pretty tough on nurse practitioners in the past, uh, namely because of what he went through with nurse practitioner Jeannie. And I have to tell you, uh, you know, Mr. Bipolar Bob and I have spoken via email, and, you know, he is very excited for the fact that I finally found somebody that it could at least get me on medication. So we both agree on that aspect, that very important, I'm on medication, uh, I, I can't find a psychiatrist, I'm capable of managing my own meds to some extent, found somebody who will at least write me out a prescription, he's happy about that. Um, you know, uh, but very kind his words were about, you know, and, and very encouraging. But I got to tell you, they're all morons, at least when it comes to the mental health um, world. I'm starting to see, you know, you really need a psychiatrist, I think, because this woman, you know, she sat me down and I, I didn't tell you guys any of this, but... She sat me down and, and she asked me a couple of questions about my history and what I was feeling now. And we went into some of my medications and I had actually made a statement to her. And I told her that lately in some of my extreme irritable manic episodes, I've noticed that clonopin uh, has actually, although it will calm me at first, the day after, I have some residual effects that I'm not very excited about. And those happen to be um, some anger and some more agitation. It's almost like they work on the spot, but then afterwards, I become even more irritable. And, you know, I'm not able to put my finger on it and figure out whether or not it's the continuation of the manic episode. And it, I'm really not sure. I just feel like clonopin sometimes makes my moods worse. Now, only this only happens, I feel, when I'm not properly medicated. When my chemicals are balanced, I do feel like clonopin is, is an effective drug for me. But nevertheless, she had asked me, and I, I made that statement to her about how it kind of makes me feel a little crappy the day after. And um, she looked me in the eyes, and she goes, Mr. Joe, I have a question for you that I can almost guarantee nobody's ever asked you before. And I said, all right, what is it, nurse, nurse practitioner moron? You, you asked me that question. And she says, did you ever have a head injury? And I got to tell you, when she said that, instantaneously a light bulb went off in this head of mine. And I thought back to a situation in college in which I... Uh, you know, I, I, I was not a nice person in college at all. I, I will tell you that right now. I was an extremely angry person. I was an alcoholic. I drank at least five days a week. Uh, I did not snort cocaine. I did not use heroin. I did not use opiates. I did not use any illicit drugs other than marijuana. But I did a lot of drinking and I did a lot of smoking marijuana. And I was not a nice person. And I got to tell you, my moods were up and down constantly. I was a typical bipolar 
I'd say probably a bipolar two. Well, um, you know, for about four years, I, I kind of had those symptoms of somebody that has bipolar two, and it was probably the depressive alcohol that did that to me. But whatever the case may be, I was not a nice person, and there was a period of my life during college where I had um, really hurt somebody pretty bad in a physical altercation. Um, and that person came back and found me and they found me walking on the streets by myself and they actually walked up to me, um, and I didn't recognize who it was. Um, and I, I do remember him saying, you remember me now? Yeah. And he had a, a couple of choice words for me. And one of my new year's resolutions is I will not be cursing anymore. And I'll get into why that resolution is taking place at another time. Um, but I had some few choice words for me, and he actually smashed me over the head with an Arizona iced tea bottle. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those kinds of bottles. They're extremely thick. And I was knocked unconscious in the street and only to be found by my friends the later on that uh, evening, um, very early in the morning. They actually ended up going out looking for me. Um, and, and I thought to myself, okay, well, there's one incident that, you know, I had a severe head injury. And she looked at me and she goes, well, that's it. That's what's going on. And I said, what do you mean what's going on? She says, I have a feeling one of the reasons why you don't respond to medication is because you have traumatic brain injury and your chemicals were shifted around through an injury that took place when you were smashed over the head and that's why you have bipolar symptoms. You're not really bipolar. Medicines are not going to work for your bipolar disorder, at least not the typical bipolar medicines, because you have TBI. <laughs> now, here's what makes it even worse. While she's saying this to me, and I'm thinking about what a complete fool she sounds like, I then remember that not only was I smashed over the head with an Arizona iced tea bottle, but prior to that, I went through a car windshield. I was in a horrible accident, and of course, alcohol was involved. I was in the passenger seat. I was not driving. Um, you know, I, I, I do not drink and drive, although I will tell you there were times in my life I certainly made that mistake. <laughs> My goodness, uh, you know, I haven't had a drink since 2007, so I'm proud to say that. Uh, but I did my fair share of drinking and driving. Could have certainly killed somebody, if not myself. Um, but I, 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 I was in the passenger seat of somebody who was drinking and driving, and they hit a, a, a they hit a parked car. They they swerved from the right side of the road to the left side of the road, and they hit a a parked car head on, and I went through the windshield and. Um, I had some reconstructive surgery to my nose and my forehead and my eyebrows. and So right then and there, I'm like, whoa, maybe this woman's not such a moron. Um, and she sent me home with a prescription for Lamictal because I demanded it, but also for a prescription of something called Proparanol, pro something along those lines. All I know is a, a blood pressure medication <laughs> to calm me during my manic episodes. I took one pill and I threw it in the garbage. And I said, I got to be a complete idiot. 
to be listening to this woman. And I actually wrote her a pretty intense email and let her know with all due respect, especially after I looked up some of the symptoms of traumatic brain injury. And yes, while they are certainly similar to that of a manic episode in terms of some of the aggression that people might have and the forgetfulness that I Um, Because my memory is just horrible from this bipolar disorder. It is 100%, um, you know, factor when you have bipolar disorder. We tend to have a pretty bad memory. Um, But a lot of it made sense to some extent. But you know what? It all mostly said that it was like short-lived and that, you know, you get over it after a few months. And the more I read, the more I realized what, what, uh, what her name was. And that's nurse practitioner moron. And I'm so sorry to be mean like that, but... That's really what she is. She's just a fool. Um, And I gave her a piece of my mind, and I said, listen, we are not going to treat what I believe to be either bipolar disorder, rapid cycling, or schizoaffective disorder. We are not treating that with a blood pressure medication. So I'm throwing your medicine out. It made me feel horrible to begin with. I swear, my blood pressure must have dropped. Uh, God only knows, you know, what it dropped to. I mean, I felt dizzy and... Lights were bothering me and um, just an absolute disaster. So, um, But one of the interesting things that I put into perspective was that when I did go through that car window, um, shortly after that, I had a situation in which I experienced, and I put this as the number one worst moment of my entire life had a situation in which I experienced my very first panic attack um, back in college. And it was very shortly after the car accident, um, you know, which kind of led me to believe even more that she kind of had something nurse practitioner moron going on there. Uh, Let's put it this way. The blow to my head probably didn't do well when it came to Um, my mental illness. If anything, it probably made it worse. Um, And and with that being said, I have to tell you that I was uh, a sufferer of of anxiety um, for a very long time. And when I say anxiety, I'm talking major, major panic attacks. Panic attacks to the point where, um, you know, it's interesting, guys, because back in the day, We didn't have, uh, when I went to college, we didn't have cell phones, uh, we didn't have internet, but one of the things that I did have was I had a yellow book, and I don't know if you remember or recall the yellow book um, with all the phone numbers in it. You know, you turn the page, you look somebody's name up, or or, or even a business, you could look in the yellow book and you could look up their names, and um, I had a yellow book with me from my original hometown, Mr. Joe's Neighborhood. Now, obviously, I didn't go to college in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. I went about four or five hours away from Mr. Joe's neighborhood. So I brought this yellow book with me um, for no other reason but just to have the yellow book in case I wanted to call someone back in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. I would have the yellow book with me. And I discovered that in the back of the yellow book, there was a section about medical ailments. And it, it was interesting because you would call this number you know, call this number and dial this number and then when a, a recording would come on and it would basically be, uh, you would follow the chart in the yellow book. There would be codes for every ailment. Um, you know, 001 for a heart attack, 002 for a stroke, 
So I would call this number and, you know, they would, hello, you've reached the mental health hotline or whatever it was. And mental health and physical health hotline. Please enter your three-digit corresponding code. And, you know, my heart would be beating out of my chest, pounding out of my chest. I'd be sweating. I'd be cold. Um, I, I, I would try to fall asleep, and I wouldn't be able to fall asleep. And then I would fall asleep, and I would have dreams that I was dying. And I would wake up in a panic, and I'd get on the phone, and I would call this Yellow Book hotline, and... On top of all this, I was a hypochondriac too. So all these feelings, because I, I had no idea that what I was experiencing, experiencing was anxiety. I thought they were all just physical ailments. So, you know, my heart would beat out of my chest and I would type in 101 for the fact that I'm having a heart attack. Okay. So, and then I'd listen to the heart attack symptoms and they would say, oh, you know, it's a, Pain on your left side. And I would say, oh, it's not on my left side. It's on my right side. So it must be a stroke. Let me go to the next one. And I put in 103 and listen to a stroke. And, you know, I'd realize that those are not the symptoms. And, you know, here I am struggling and, you know, go all night long trying to figure out exactly what was wrong with me. And it was so bad, guys, because I lived five hours from Mr. Joe's neighborhood. The phone bill was astronomical. And my, my roommates came to me and they said, Joe, you, you're, the phone bill's $100, a couple hundred dollars. That's a lot of money back in that day. You know, you got to pay for this. Who are you calling? And, and you know, uh, on top of that, sadly, uh, for nine months, approximately nine months, I did not leave my home. That's how horrible my panic attacks were. Nine long months, I did not leave my home. And I... I, uh, I used to walk around my home with a portable phone um, and I would wait for my roommates to come home and God forbid they didn't come home. I would, I would hold that phone in my hand and I would say, you know what, it, just in case they don't come home, if I pass out now and die of a heart attack, or at least if I go down from a heart attack, I'll be able to quickly dial 911 and they'll hear me in the phone and they'll know that I'm dying. And, you know, since my, my roommates and my friends are not here... Um, an ambulance will show up and be able to save my life. Um, so again, I had no idea that I was suffering from panic attacks and anxiety. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is I think back to my childhood, um, and I actually wrote this down and I don't, I, you know, I have to tell you when I prepare for my podcast, I don't write a whole lot down at all. The only thing I do is I actually write down the words, not the words, the names of the songs that I'd like to queue up, um, so, because I'll never remember. The first one's easy. I got that queued up already. But the second one, I'm not going to remember. And, you know, I go ahead and queue that up because I wrote it down. But uh, I, I wrote down two instances that I could remember off the top of my head in which I was young, extremely young, around the age of 16, where I um, first engaged in a, in a, in a horrific, um, horrific aggressive behaviors. And uh, both actually happened on the baseball field in one instance. I actually remember being about 16 years old, um, and I had been accused of drinking in school, and I was suspended for quite some time, and of course I, I lied to my mom and my dad, and I said, no, I, I didn't drink, it wasn't me, you know, the basic teenage 
nonsense that you give your parents. It wasn't me. I was just there, but I didn't do any of the drinking. Nevertheless, I was suspended for a week because I was the I was the forger. <laughs> I used to forge everybody's signatures. I'm not proud of it, but you know that's what I used to do. Um, so I was suspended for quite some time, and one of my uh, so-called friends was having a baseball game, and my parents loved baseball so much, even though I wasn't playing. Um, I was at home. My parents would be at the field watching different games, and they happened to be at my friend's game, and I had found out through another source that my friend actually told my mom that I was drinking. So when I found this out, I recall, when I'm 16 years old, guys, I'm 42 now, and I can still remember the rage that came over me, the impulsivity that came over me, the, the, the lack of caring about the consequences of my actions. And I stormed out of my house, or my parents' house at the time, and I probably walked about three miles as fast as I could to that baseball field. It was about three miles away. It wasn't too far. But, um, you know, three miles is also not no walk around the block. And, you know, I sped walk there. And I just happened to show up when they were shaking hands. You know, when you win a baseball game or lose a baseball game, you get in the middle of the field and you shake hands with the other team. Um, and, and my buddies' uh, teams, the teams were lined up to shake hands. And I remember them in the middle of the field shaking hands, and I marched onto that field, and in front of everybody, I attacked this young man. And I beat the you-know-what out of him on the field. I recall doing that, and I recall another period of my life where I was pitching. I threw the ball, the catcher missed it, there was a man on third base, the man on third base ran home. As a pitcher, you have to run and cover the plate. And uh, unfortunately for me, the, the guy slid in the plate and he was safe and I wasn't able to tag him. And, and I remember him getting up and I, and I took my elbow and I smashed it into his nose as hard as I could, almost like a sore loser. Um, and, you know, those were, those were the moments where, you know, the, the control, the, that control was lost. Um, and, and I would, I, I could almost guarantee that those were not just isolated incidents. Those were probably days and days of mania building up from when I was younger. Um, because if I think back to how I was, you know, beforehand in terms of me walking on that field and walking to that field and speed walking, you know, if I know myself, I was probably uh, locked away in my room for a period of like four or five days um, manic beyond belief, not sleeping, you know, up at night, doing whatever crazy things I did at 16 years old, God only knows. You know, there was, a, there was another time where, I'm ashamed to even say it, that during a fist fight I actually bit somebody in the face. I mean, who does that? My good God. I, you know, I was around uh, 17 at the time, I believe, or 16 at that time, too. So I guess my point is, even during my high school years, my God, I, I mean, there were times where I was an animal, an absolute animal. So now, fast forward to my college years, and I will never forget that, once again, here I am, you know, Mr. Tough Guy, running around, fighting everybody, starting fights, starting arguments, Happened to be in a fraternity as well, and we were a fighting fraternity. Um, and, you know, there was one other thing that I will say that went along with my bipolar disorder. 
was what I refer to as hypersexuality or hypersexual. You know, I, I had a girlfriend away in college, but there was absolutely no way for me to keep it in my pants. No way. She was a great girl. She treated me like gold, but, you know, and there were times where I was extremely faithful to her. But had I gone into my manic type um, episodes, I, I didn't care. Didn't matter to me. Could care less. That's all I cared about was finding another girl to go and be with. That's all that mattered to me. Um, and, and unfortunately, at one, at one point in my college life, I had picked the wrong girl to mess around with. Because uh, I had messed around with a girl who was a few years older than me. And we actually used to call her the Greek goddess. Um, she was a very pretty girl. And everybody happened to love her and want her. And who did she want? She wanted Mr. Joe. So Mr. Joe, even though he had a girlfriend for the entire four years in college, well, I said, sure, sure, I'll study with you. <laughs> you know, one thing led to another, and before you knew it, I was cheating on my girlfriend with this girl. Um, and I made a terrible mistake in which I had uh, sexual intercourse with her without a condom. And that was one thing, believe it or not, even with all the uh, impulsive and horrible things that I would do, um, I was always very safe when it came to sexual activity. I was not very safe with this woman. Um, and I, I, I immediately got into a panic. Oh, my God, I got HIV. I can't believe it. Um, it, it, was, it was horrible. Not only did I mess around with the wrong girl because she was older than me and because everybody liked her, but because she she had a boyfriend. And her boyfriend was not somebody that I was going to push around. He was an absolute monster. And this guy found out about me, and he was looking for me. So, I remember specifically hiding from him. <laughs> I actually hid from this man. Um, and I remember going to my girlfriend's house. Um, you know, and at this point in time, I, I had had my girlfriend believe that I was not cheating on her, that... The girl just liked Greek goddess, just liked me, but I didn't like her. And her boyfriend is now angry because his his girlfriend likes me. And you know, all I care about is you. So of course, you know, bipolar people we have a tendency to be very manipulative. Okay, especially when we want what we want. And you know, she took me in and come on, honey, come on inside. And you know, subconsciously I'm trying to act all tough and everything, but subconsciously I'm I'm definitely concerned and I'm definitely worried and. Um, she turned to me and she said, you got to sleep. You got to fall asleep. You, you, you're up. It's, you know, one, two in the morning. It's time to go to bed. But I couldn't fall asleep. And she offered, she said, you know, w w once in a while when I'm not able to fall asleep, I often do this. And she offered to give me some Benadryl. Um, and I said, all right, man, this should knock me out. So I took the Benadryl and it knocked me out. Um, but unfortunately, about 10 minutes or 15 minutes into my sleep, it had the adverse effect on me, and I woke up like an animal. You know, I mean, when I tell you guys I woke up from a dead sleep in a complete panic, I sat up, my heart was racing, beating out of my chest, I had no idea what was going on, I woke my girlfriend up, I was shaking, I had shortness of breath. Um, all I worried about now, now the racing thoughts started. I have HIV, you know, um, I'm, I'm definitely, this is the reason why I woke up is because my immune system is shot. I have HIV, 
this is it, this is the end, um, you know, and, and that was actually day one of my anxiety, believe it or not, and from that point on, it never went away, every day was worse than the next, and, and here's how my anxiety basically went for the next couple of months, I would try to go into public, and when I would walk into public, and I'll give you an example, uh, let's say a big department store, for example, I would walk in, and the moment I would walk in, the lights would shine in my face. My my head would become extremely dizzy. I, I, the room would start to spin. And there were several times where I actually vomited because I was so sick to my stomach from being out in public. Um, you know, so that, that, that trial and error of going out in public ended rather quickly. And what I ended up finding myself doing was just being at home. And... If anybody knows, being at home and doing nothing and just allowing your brain to overwork itself and continuously think, what is wrong with me, what is wrong with me, what is wrong with me, all hours of the day, you know, that's certainly not going to help. And that's basically what I ended up doing because, again, I had no idea that I was dealing with anxiety. I thought I just had all these physical ailments that were, you know, bothering me and affecting me throughout my life. So, um, and then nighttime would come. And, and I was so fearful to go to sleep because I knew that the minute I would close my eyes, um, I would wake up because I would either be falling from somewhere, um, I would actually fall in my sleep, and it, it was so disturbing. And um, you know, I'd wake up in a sweat, a hot sweat. Um, you know, but that anxiety uh, that stayed with me for a period of nine months. Now, obviously, there were times where I had to be with other people. Um, not a whole lot, I got to tell you, not a whole lot. You know, the only people that I ever really were with, um, I, I did not go out to bars, I did not drink, I did not smoke marijuana, but I would still hang out with my girlfriend at the time. Um, and I remember being with my girlfriend, and sometimes we would go back to her parents' house uh, during vacations, and I remember just sitting on that floor, and no one would have any idea what I was going through, and... All I know is my heart would beat out of my chest, my hands would be clammy, and I would struggle to catch my breath. And I would actually yawn over and over again. And that's actually a really good tip for people that are struggling from a panic attack and can't catch their breath. Sometimes if you actually force yourself to yawn, that actually allows you to um, stop that shortness of breath it actually has something to do with the breathing exercises that one might um, partake in which um, you know believe it or not guys they actually do work um, I didn't know it at the time I didn't utilize it I didn't use those breathing exercises until I um, suffered from severe anxiety and depression when coming off my first go around with Suboxone um, I was in a deep dark depression for approximately 188 days um, it was a horrible time of my life, but um, again, during the college year, that I, the nine months that I experienced this, I had no idea what was going on, no idea. I would drive in a car, and I would feel as if I was in a tunnel. Driving was probably the worst. I mean, there were times where I used to feel like I was floating. I wasn't even driving, I was floating, and I had no idea what was going on. The saddest thing of all is my ex-girlfriend, who I, I have no idea where she is now. I mean, 
You know, guys, I went to college. I graduated high school in 93, so, you know, I knew this girl many, many years ago. But uh, So I have no idea where she is now. Don't care where she is now. I wish her all the best. But what I will tell is this poor, poor girl who had a heart of gold, she dealt with my anxiety for so many years that I actually rubbed off onto her. And I'll never forget that towards the end of our relationship when we were kind of just friends and I would once in a blue moon reach out to her and then um, really wouldn't talk to her much at all anymore, but I'd uh, find out information about her through other parties. People would tell me, you know, um, girlfriend one, she, she's, we'll call her girlfriend one, um, girlfriend one, you know, she suffers from the same thing that you used to suffer from, you know, she, she's a mess, um, and I know, and I found that out later on, that I rubbed off on her in a very bad way, but, um, the, the, the salute, the, the, the story ends in a very happy way, believe it or not, because even though I went through nine months of this, and keep in mind, guys, that these symptoms are very real, um, these physical symptoms, you know, they start in your mind, but they end up affecting you physically, and, you know, they, they actually do, I mean, I was so bad physically, I was so bad mentally, and so anxious all the time, that I actually... I, I destroyed my immune system to a point where I gave myself a urinary tract infection. And for somebody who thought they had HIV because they slept with a person one time without a condom, um, you know, and, and granted, guys, I went and I got tested. I mean, I did a, I, I, I was abstinent. My girlfriend hated me at the time. I refused to have any sexual intercourse with her for that entire nine-month period because I was told that it takes at least six months of inact sexual inactivity to get a true reading on whether or not you have HIV. I don't know if that's true. I could tell you right now. I've been tested multiple times and I don't have it. But I, I remained um, sex-free during that period of time just so I can go and get that, that test um, and, and try to clear my head. Uh, the interesting thing is, could you imagine having a urinary tract infection while you think that you have some kind of sexually transmitted disease or, God forbid, HIV? I mean, here I am peeing and it's burning and I'm saying, oh my good God, I said, I, I really do have this. And, oh, I went to the wellness center. Just Just a little off topic here, guys. When they test you for a sexually transmitted disease as a man, whoa. Um, I never officially put it in my top five, but I got to tell you, it might go into my top five. Wow, oh, wow. Um, I don't want to be too graphic, but they basically take a Q-tip, and I'll just leave it at that. And they, you know, they put it somewhere where it's just not too fun. Um, but everything came back clean, and... You know, the, 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 there's a happy ending here, um, because through all of this, I finally went home to uh, where my parents live in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. Um, it was during a break of some sort, and, you know, I had suffered a very, very long time with this anxiety. And um, when I went home, I had, I had seen my doctor, um, who had, even though I had not seen him, you know, over the course of the last year. He was my doctor before I went away to school, and he was my doctor when I would go home on breaks. And, you know, when I saw my doctor, he took one look at me, and he saw, you know, he says, Mr. Joe, 
Uh, did you stop working out? Uh, you know, you lost a lot of weight. You don't look good. You look horrible. Um, and I started telling him a little bit about what was going on and telling him my symptoms and telling him, I, I, I think I'm going to die. You know, I, I feel this and that. And, and he looks at me and he goes, what you have is what we call anxiety. He said, it's all in your head. Those were the only words he had to tell me. I had no idea that it was all in my head. He told me it was all in my head, told me to get my butt back to the gym and start exercising again and working out and doing all those things that you used to do. And I got to tell you, amazingly enough, that was all it took. And guys, listen, I know that it is not normally this easy, especially now when you have the internet, you have today's stresses in life. I mean, you know, my poor daughter, you know, who's 14 years old right now, um, Sarah Lee, she is really, Sarah Lee is suffering from a tremendous amount of anxiety, and I'm so upset with her therapist. You know, her therapist did not even have the decency. Sarah Lee had an um, appointment last night, and, um, you know, we called to uh, confirm, and nobody even wrote me back, and, um, you know, just so disappointing. And then finally I reached out this morning, and I wrote one of my, unfortunately, one of my ongoing manic emails, you know, and it's something you got to watch, guys, with the bipolar. you got to watch what you're writing. Just a little bit of advice for people. Um, you know, if you have bipolar disorder, you know, I happen to be one that enjoys writing. and I you know, kind of get off on writing. Um, if you're sending certain emails to special people, people that matter, people that um, might judge you in the sense where maybe, you know, it's work-related, you know, do me a favor, man. You got to really read over what you're uh, writing before you hit send. Um, you may even want to get somebody to help you out in the sense where, you know, hey, so and so, could you read this over and let me know if this is a rational response or a rational email? Because sometimes we don't even realize what we're writing. And um, I happened to CC my ex-wife on the email that I sent to the psychologist, and she immediately called me this morning and says, you know, I, I kind of wish you would have let me handle it. Um, she goes, are you manic? Because your email seemed a little manic. And I said, actually, believe it or not, I'm not. Because <laughs> I really am not. I'm not manic. Um, I'm just angry. I'm really angry. I'm really angry because, you know, if it, it's a very simple kind of uh, scenario here. You know, if my daughter had a sore throat or an ear infection, let's, let's give her an ear infection, an ear infection that requires antibiotics. And I called her doctor. And I said, hey, doc, you know, I, I, think, I think Sarah Lee has an ear infection. I'm going to bring her in. And, and he says, yes, you bring her right in. You know, we're going to look in her ears. And if she does have an ear infection, we'll get her on antibiotics and we'll take it from there. You know, if, do, if I called the doctor or I showed up at the doctor and, and they didn't address the ear, ear infection because they didn't either call me back or they weren't there, I'd be really angry. I, but I don't think they'd ever do that. You know, so what is the difference with anxiety? It's an illness. It's a mental illness. Or uh, it's, it's, it's part of a mental illness. Let's put it that way. Because she's not mentally ill yet. She's just suffering from anxiety. So I'm not going to call her mentally ill. And I'm not going to say anxiety is really a mental illness yet with her. But it's an illness. It's an illness in her brain. Okay, she's suffering. So why is it okay... For you to cancel on my daughter without even giving us the decency 
of letting us know that you are going to cancel. She ended up writing me an email later on um, today letting me know that she had the flu. And it's funny, too, because she went ahead and she changed her entire voicemail after I had left her a message. And, you know, yesterday it was one way, and then her voicemail, all of a sudden now she's on vacation. And I'm thinking to myself, and I called her out, and I said, you, you could write me back, you could change your voicemail, but you got the flu, and you can't even have the decency to let my 14-year-old daughter, Sarah Lee, who is already struggling with confidence issues, now she probably thinks you want no part of her. You don't even have the decency to let me know. Um, so anyway, in, in this world or in this society, 2018, you know, with the things that we contend with and deal with, anxiety is, um, it's there and it's real and it's all over the place. But thankfully, in my situation, um, it, because I, I had no knowledge of it because this occurred back in a I'm just going to take a roundabout guess guys and thinking about 1997 I went through this um because I had no idea what was happening all it took was somebody to tell me exactly what was happening and my mind was able to overcome the anxious effects or the anxious anxiety symptoms um, and I have to tell you, it's amazing that I will say this. There are things that make me somewhat anxious. And what I say by anxious now in my life, I mean, once in a blue moon, again, it's more of that irritability. And, you know, I'll be like, oh, man, I can't believe I have to do this. And almost like a normal anxiety, if that makes sense. Just a regular anxiety that we all deal with. But I am proud to say that since 1997, even with bipolar disorder or schizoaffective disorder, whichever one I have, and hopefully we'll find out by the end of my podcast lifetime, which is going to be a long time from now, I, I would assume, I don't have panic attacks ever. You know, I suffer from a little bit of anxiety here and there, and you know there's a big difference from between anxiety and panic attacks, guys. Panic attacks, you have no control. You know, you could be shaking, you could be in a corner, you could be rocking back and forth. Um, you know, I know when my daughter has had them, you know, she curls up in a ball and you know she latches onto me like, you know, Daddy, please help me. What is happening? What is happening to me? But guys, it's in your mind. It's all in your mind. It's amazing, but it is. You know, now there are some things that you could do to help it. I'm not going to lie. I know a lot of people, they talk about this breathing stuff like it doesn't work. And I'm going to tell you, um, I happened to have an interview when I was 10 days into my withdrawal uh, many, many years ago with Suboxone. And I remember being parked in a car outside of my interview and I was having an anxiety attack. Um, you know, I did have anxiety attacks when I was coming off Suboxone. Um, that is the one time that I did. I don't really count that as anything real, um, although it should be counted because the depression was very real. The anxiety was very real. But, again, it was kind of caused by a very, a very specific substance in which I refer to as Suboxone. Um, but I was able to actually sit in my car that day, and I remember breathing in through my nose and holding for a count of... Five seconds. I know some people will tell you ten. I don't because I lose my breath too quickly. Um, but I breathe in for a period of five seconds. 
count to five, and then I breathe. So I breathe in through my nose and breathe out through my mouth for a period of five seconds as well. So you hold it for five, breathe in through your nose, hold it for five, then breathe out through your mouth and do that for five seconds. And you do that about ten times, and i got to tell you guys, it works. It actually works. Um, you know, there are some other things that you could be doing for your anxiety. You should definitely be talking about it. Absolutely be talking about it. Uh, you know, if you have, if you guys have concerns, I would love you to reach out to me at MrJoeBP at Yahoo.com. Ask me your questions about anxiety. I, I, I guarantee that I, I really feel like I could coach you through it. And walk you through some of the symptoms. You know, you got to keep hearing from people that that it's not real. I know it's hard to believe. You know, Sarah Lee, she will say to me, she goes, but Dad, it feels so real. It feels like, and I get that, I do. But you got to fight through it. You got to fight through it. You got to tell your head that, you know, this is not real. And, uh, and you know, unfortunately, guys, a lot of times that's just not enough. So, you know, we we, we then have to turn to medication. Um you know, and, and with bipolar disorder, a lot of us suffer from anxiety. I could tell you two wonderful medications, you know. Well, first of all, benzos, they do the trick, guys, I got to tell you. You know, that's the Xanax and the Valium, the Clonopin. Those are all in the benzo, the Ativant. Those are in the benzo category, but you're going to be hard-pressed to get one if you are a recovering substance abuser or alcoholic. You know, no real um, psychiatrist is probably going to want to give you that unless you could show them that you have several years of sobriety under your belt. Be, um, you know, you know, or you get lucky and you get a psychiatrist who will give you just that exact amount that you need so that you won't abuse it. Or you're going to go to a family practitioner who's going to write you out as many as you want and you're going to end up getting hooked on them and abuse them, um, you know. And for all I know, you know, they, you go to a family practitioner, you tell them your symptoms, and next thing you know, they're writing you out a prescription for Clonopin or for Xanax, along with a prescription of Wellbutrin or a prescription of, um, forget about Wellbutrin, I actually like Wellbutrin, but some kind of an antidepressant, um, you know, and, and before you know it, you're in mania mode, and oh, forget it, like I was in Cymbalta land, forget it, it was, it was horrific. And every time they put me up, um, here, take another 60 milligrams. Forget it, I'd be up for seven days at a time. I'd be cleaning tile floors with a, uh, with a uh, toothpick and a toothbrush, literally. I mean, that's how crazy that stuff used to make me. Um, but, you know, benzos do work. There are two man-made medications in this world, and the unfortunate thing is that we abuse both of them. But they work very well for what they were intended to do. That being a benzo, okay, you know, they work well for anxiety. They really do. I mean, if you could do it in moderation and take it, if you're having a panic, panic attack, and my theory of just talking yourself through it, you know, which is going to be very hard for people out there, but you can do it. You really can. Okay? You, if you, but if you can't, um, you know, you reach for the benzo as long as you don't, uh, abuse it, it'll work. You know, there is another medication that I took at one time in my life um, during the Suboxone withdrawal in which I um, suffered from severe depression as well as anxiety at that time. Uh, my anxiety was mostly present 
um, in the early morning hours. Uh, believe it or not, I would be able to fall asleep relatively well, but I would be up by 3, 4 o'clock the latest. Uh, my brain would just wake up and I would just be an anxious mess. And I would sit there and, you know, how many times, guys, have we looked at the clock and we say, oh, God, i got to be at work at this time and I only have this many more hours and, you know, I'm never going to be able to function. And, you know, we all do it. We've all done it. Um, but during the suboxone withdrawal, you know, I used to wake up about 4 or 5 in the morning and, 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 and a lot of it was because I, I used to take a Suboxone dose in the morning, so it was my body searching for it. And when my body did not have it, I would go into immediate anxious, um, you know, anxious-like feelings, um, you know, which again, unfortunately, were just kind of brought on by physical symptoms um, because my body was searching for something that it had for a period of three years and it no longer had. Uh, but one of the medications, believe it or not, that did actually help me, and I actually was on a very low dosage, was something called Boost Bar. And my recollection of this medication is, believe it or not, I do think it is an SSRI, Selective Serotonin Re-Up, re-up in, Inhibitor, Re-Up Intake Inhibitor, um, something along those lines. I'm, I'm so sick, guys, I don't remember what it stands for. SSRI, uh, but it was only considered to be an SSRI in very high doses and in which it would act as an antidepressant. But at very low doses of Boost Bar, it worked as an anti-anxiety agent. Um, you know, the downfall was you had to take it two times a day in the morning and in the nighttime, but I have to tell you, it worked very well. So um, if you're searching for medicine to treat your anxiety, and your psychiatrist refuses to give you a benzo, um, you know, it might be something worth mentioning to your psychiatrist. Um, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you for sure that it's going to work. You know, everybody's different. Uh, but it is something that's um, a relatively safe drug with minimal side effects. You know, the only thing I used to feel was a little bit of dizziness when I first took it, but, you know, it kind of worked to my advantage because it would knock me out. Um... You know, the other thing that I used to take for anxiety at nighttime uh, when I was on my whole host of medications was something called Seroquel. I would take 25 milligrams, and my ex-wife used to have to literally pick me up and walk me to bed. Um, it was horrible, a horrible, horrible drug. I'm not a fan of that. But again, if you guys are on these drugs and they work for you, that's okay. When I say they're a horrible drug, I mean they were a horrible drug for me. They could be miracle workers for you guys, absolute miracle workers. So I don't ever want to discourage you from trying something that your psychiatrist might mention. You know, I don't want you to walk in somewhere and hear a drug that I talk about and then say, oh, my God, Mr. Joe, he took that and it was a nightmare for him. Could be completely different, guys. Everybody is different, okay? Um, but uh, that that's it's very important, though, that... Um, in order to, you know, prevent those anxiety attacks, you know, you, you keep your mind strong. You, you have to have a good diet. You have to sleep properly. You have to get hours of sleep at least. You know, people say eight hours. I really am a firm believer in, like, more close to ten hours, guys, when it comes to bipolar disorder, if you can. 
um, you know, especially anxiety if you are able to sleep, because <laughs> that sometimes is the problem. You know, tip for you guys, if you're waking up around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, that is probably your anxiety waking you up subconsciously. There's a certain chemical, and I forget what it's called. I think it's cortisone, cortisil, some. It's the chemical that actually depletes. Um, it's the, it's, uh, it, it's, it's the chemical that causes anxiety or, um, yeah, I believe it causes or, or you have to go, I, I don't have it in front of me right now, but what I do know is that, um, something happens around two or three in the morning where your body is either searching for it or it's not producing it anymore. And I really should have researched this before I talk about it. Um, but if you're waking up at two, three in the morning, guys, I could almost guarantee that that's your anxiety and. Believe it or not, it's not a bad idea also. Here's another tip for you. It is that chemical that I was referring to. And I don't know whether we're trying to make it go away or to increase it. I forget. <laughs> i got to look this up. It's so sad. But here's what I'll tell you. A cup of water by the side of your bed actually helps do what you need to do to that chemical to ease your anxiety symptoms. So it's not a bad idea to have a cup of water by the side of your bed. Um, and I'm so tempted to put this on pause and look it up because I don't want to give you guys misinformation. Okay, so I actually used the pause button here, guys. I had to, and I'm just going to quickly read this to you. Chronic stress and elevated cortisol, cortisol levels also increase risk for depression, mental illness, and lower life expectancy. Cortisol levels return to normal upon completion of the task. Distress or free-floating anxiety doesn't provide an outlet for the cortisol and causes the fight-or-flight mechanism, mechanism to backfire. And um, if you Google it, you could see ways to lower your cortisol levels and your anxiety. So we want to lower our cortisol levels. Most people with anxiety need to find ways to lower their cortisol levels to lower their anxiety. Let me see if I'm pronouncing this right. It's spelled C-O-R-T-I-S-O-L. And it's basically a chemical, and uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, it's produced by your adrenal glands. And I'm almost positive about that. Um, and now we know that um, we want to lower our cortisol level to lower anxiety. Um, and what's happening at nighttime when you wake up at 2, 3 in the morning, that means your cortisol levels are have risen for some reason, which is producing that anxious feeling, waking you up out of sleep. And I'll give you a little tip, like I just said before, believe it or not, drinking a little bit of water will actually lower your cortisol level and will allow that anxiety to subside a little bit, and you'll be able to go to sleep a little bit better. Um, so that's important. Exercise is extremely important. Diet is extremely important. And sleep is extremely important. So um, just to wrap it up, uh, I want to let you guys also know one last time the uh, email address that you can reach out to me at. That is MrJoeBP at Yahoo.com. That's M-R-J-O-E-B-P at Yahoo.com. I want to thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. I love that you took a walk into my neighborhood tonight. 
Uh, this was Anxiety 101. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Uh, we'll be back. I know I, I said several times that I'll be back in a few days, and guess what? This time I really stuck to my word. Uh, I need this, guys. I need you. And, and I think you're going to start to need me. I think we're going to develop a real great relationship here. It's very important that we stay together. So um, I'll see you guys soon. Have a great evening. I'll talk to you again next time. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to Mr. Joe the Bipolar. Going down the old man with a transistor radio. Standing